please turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. We'll look at a couple scenes from Joshua's life over the next two weeks before we start our, our summer series on theophanies. I want you to imagine for a minute uh, if you got a phone call from God. If God called you, what would God say? Would he say, you know, Aaron, you're, you're doing great. Gosh, keep it up. Just more of the same. But could you put Todd on the line? Right. <laughs> Todd, there are a couple things, you know. These are okay, but I'd like to see a little more prayer, a little more Bible reading, a little more fasting. Could you do this? You know, no, you know or overall, you're doing well, but I've just noticed the, the tongue. Could we work on that? What would God say? What do you imagine if you picked up the line and it was God calling you that God would say to you? You know, if you look at this theme of calling throughout the Bible, there are a couple of characteristics of God's calling on people. One thing that frequently happens, not always, but frequently, God gives to people that he calls this, this overwhelming vision of himself and his greatness and his glory. It's just overwhelming. Drives them to their faces before God. Sometimes that happens, not always. But one thing that always happens is that God gives these people a task. And the task itself is it's just overwhelming. It's so great, in fact, that often they want to refuse <laughs> They want to step away. They want a different task. They want God to call someone else. It's just so overwhelming. They realize, I cannot do what God is wanting me to do in my own strength. I just can't pull it off. In other words, when God calls people, he normally focuses less on on our faults and our fears and our sins. He focuses less on that. He focuses a lot more on how great he is and how great the task is that he wants to accomplish through us. Now, most of us are not going to get a vision of God and his glory. I mean, I'm still waiting for mine. That'd be great. I'd love it. I asked for it. It hasn't happened. Um, Probably won't happen in this lifetime. Someday, I'll see God, and you will. Most of us won't in this lifetime, but we will receive a calling from God. God's going to give you a calling that is, in fact, overwhelming. It's greater than something you can do. And there's a reason for that. God's going to use that calling as a part of your sanctification, He's going to call you away from your own faults and your own fears, your own small idols that you cling to. He's going to call you away from those small things to something great. And in that process, he's going to teach you to trust in him and depend upon him in new and fresh ways. And we're going to look at one calling this morning. We're going to look at Joshua's calling and take a few lessons from that. I want you to read with me, beginning Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you, and I will not forsaken you. First, God called Joshua to lead God's people. It says in verse 2, lead all of God's people. And by this time, you know, they had uh, arisen to several million. And Joshua, I want you to read, lead, lead several million people. And remember, they're not Moses' people, they're God's people. But Moses is the only leader they have ever known. Can you imagine following Moses? 
Gosh, what a tough act to follow. In fact, when the Jews think about their great leaders, they often don't even think about Abraham first. They think about Moses because Moses was the one through whom God delivered the law. Moses was a phenomenal leader, towering figure in Jewish history, and Joshua has to follow such a man. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says of him, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Not only is he great, Joshua, but he's the most humble man who's ever lived. Great leader, humble man. This is the one you have to follow. Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says, Since that time no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In other words, an editor came along afterwards and filled in some gaps in the Pentateuch and said, let me remind you who this man Moses was. We haven't seen anyone like him, (laughs) including Joshua. Joshua, this is the one you've got to follow, and I want you to follow him as you lead my people, millions of people, millions of people who've only known him as their leader, millions of people that you're going to have to lead into warfare who are not soldiers. They're shepherds, they're people who've wandered in the desert, they're not trained, they're not equipped, they don't have military equipment, they don't know what to do. I want you to lead these millions of people. They're not soldiers, in fact, they're children of rebellious people, people who got angry and frustrated with me and complained about not having water, not having food, wanting to go back to Egypt, who mumbled and moaned and grumbled. These are the people. These are the ones now. uh, They're my people, but they're your your people. I want you to lead these people into the promised land. What a job, right? Oh, gosh. Such a hard job. In fact, when Moses was called, he said, please, God, anyone else. (laughs) Can't you find anyone else to do this job other than me? I decline. God said, that's not an option. You don't decline my calls. Pick up. Take the call. Now, Joshua, first thing I need to tell you, Moses is dead. The job is yours. Lead my people. Second, they're called, Joshua is called to claim God's land. Read with me again verse 3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. Now, does this land sound familiar? Hopefully it does after we've been studying the book of Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 2. These are the dimensions of the land of Eden in which there was a garden, right? Not just the garden of Eden, the garden that was in Eden. This is the land of Eden. It's also the land of Canaan, or the promised land. This is God's special land from which God wants to establish his rule and reign in his glory over all of the earth. This is the land. It's a hard land. It's a hard land to conquer. It's a hard land to live in. It's a difficult place. But notice what he says in verse 3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Past tense. Wait a second, we're, we haven't even crossed the Jordan yet. God said, well, it's as good as done because I'm great. Right? It's as good as done if you trust and you obey. In fact, next week what we're going to look at is this entrance into the promised land, in a sense, is a, a model of the spiritual life, right? Entering into the promised land will be a model not of salvation, but of the reward that comes from depending upon God, obeying him, and conquering God's enemies. Okay? That's the third thing that they're called to do. Conquer God's enemies. Now, why, you may, you may say, well, why did they have to conquer these people? Why couldn't they just 
move in and share the space, right? Why was it that God said, no, I want you to go in and and all of these Canaanites, I need you to remove all of them entirely from the land. Well, I want you to think back in our study of the book of Genesis and think Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The people in God's land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, had become exceptionally wicked. It was said of them, there is absolutely no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, so think Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember when the Lord appeared to Abram, Abram uh, and said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to destroy all that area in the valley down by the, the Dead Sea, which was not dead at the time but became dead afterwards, right? So I'm going to destroy all those people. And Abraham says, but Lord, you're just, you're righteous. If we can find 50, will you spare them? I'll spare them for 50. 40, how about 40? 30, yes. 10, yeah. Even if, if I can only find 10 people, I'll spare the entire area for just 10 people. And God sends his angels down to the area. And what does he find? He cannot find 10 righteous people. All that he can find is, is Lot and Lot's family. And we could argue... <laughs> Lot was a stretch if we're, you know, it depends on how we define righteousness, right? I mean, Lot was pretty, pretty shady himself. Um, his wife had fallen in love with the world, his daughters as well. Their whole worldview was, was messed up. Okay? Now imagine, that's what the whole land of Canaan has become. Okay? Grossly idolatrous. All of their, their worship practices were very sexual and immoral in nature, And so God said, no, you need to remove those people. But what's interesting is God actually allowed them to remain on the land for 400 years, giving them 400 years to turn and to repent. Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God was speaking to Abraham and he said, now, in the fourth generation, about 400 years, your descendants will return to this promised land because the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. In other words, I'm going to give the Amorites, which is a blanket term for Canaanite people, I'm going to give them an opportunity to either turn toward me or to turn away from me. And I'm going to give them 400 years. And in 400 years, they said no. No God. And now Joshua is commanded. He is charged. This is your calling. Take my people who don't know how to follow, who don't know how to wage warfare, who are the children of rebellious people, who don't have any military armaments, I want you to lead these people, I want you to lead them into a land where they have fortified cities and they know how to wage warfare, where they have the implements of war, and I want you to take this land for my honor and my glory. Wow. What a calling. (laughs) Overwhelming. Joshua called to do three things. Lead God's people, claim God's land, conquer God's enemies. An overwhelming calling. I want you to consider for a moment, what is God's calling on your life? I'm going to give you three things. First, you are called to salvation. Can you accomplish that on your own? You certainly can't, okay? You're called to something that you can't accomplish. Revelation chapter 22, it says this, The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. This is actually the last chapter in the Bible. It's the last calling that God issues to people. And he says, I want you to come, but if you're going to come, you've got to come freely because you, you can't get here on your own. There's nothing that you can do to remove the debt of your sin. There's nothing that you can do to earn my favor. And so I provided it for you freely. I want you to drink the water of life without cost. That is the water that's provided by Jesus Christ. When Christ died on the cross for your sins, he paid absolutely all of them. Sins in the past, sins you may be contemplating at this moment, sins you'll commit in the future. 
For every man and every woman, every child that's ever lived, Jesus paid it all. And so when we come to him, we all come on equal ground. We, we don't come with, with superiority over one another because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we take the water of life freely without cost or we don't take it at all. And so Jesus says, come. He calls out to each person. He says, come. This is the first calling on your life. And if you have never received that, let me encourage you to do so this morning. It may be that you've been trying to come to God on your own for years. You've been coming and saying, yes, I have sinned, but I've, I've done more good than I've done bad. And hopefully someday God will weigh the good and the bad. He'll look at each and he'll consider that good and it will overwhelm the bad and he will accept me on my own terms. And God says, no, I don't accept you on your own terms. That's why Jesus died. There would be no point in the death of Jesus Christ if you could get there any other way. Christ said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And maybe this morning, that's what you need to do. You need to answer that first call. God's calling you this morning. He's just saying, come. But come on my terms through Jesus Christ and come freely. Hey, that's the first call in our life. The second call is a call to sanctification. Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What's he saying? He's saying, well, the the initial calling to salvation cost God everything. He gave his only begotten son. That's an incredibly valuable call, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. So I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling. In other words, live your life in a manner that's consistent with the value of this calling. To, To be worthy means in Greek literally to balance the scales, Not that you earn anything from God, but you live in a manner that's consistent with this incredible free gift of salvation that God has given to you. Live differently. Can you do that on your own? Could you walk out of here and say, yes, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can become more like Jesus. Watch me. (laughs) Can you? No, you can't. In case you think you can, you can't. I'm just telling you, you can't. All right. Don't you, you, you cannot transform your character? Can you change some of your behaviors? Sure. But can you change your, your heart that is, that is self-centered to one that is kind, that cares more about others than you care about yourself? The one that wa- wants to take to one that wants to give, can you change that? No, but God can. And so he says to you, I want you to walk in a manner worthy. How do you do that? You depend on me. My power, my strength. Peter describes it like this. First Peter chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Christ walked like this. Christ lived like this. So, I want you to live like this. Third calling. You've been called to service. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Paul says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. In other words, God rescued you from the domain of darkness and the penalty of your sin, called you to live like Jesus Christ for a purpose, so that you would be a blessing to others. You see the consistency of the call? Genesis chapter 12, where we began last year our study of Genesis Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And the reason I'm going to bless you is so that you'll be a blessing to others. I'm not blessing you so that you can enjoy the blessings, but so that you'll turn around and give. And so God says, I've given to you grace. Grace in your salvation. Grace in your sanctification. Now, grace in your service. All of these gifts that I've placed within you are literally called graces from God. So take my unmerited favor, my gifts that I've given you, talents, your abilities, the treasure that you hold. Take all of those things and serve. To what end? 
Great Commission. Jesus spoke this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It all belongs to me because I'm the creator of all things. Now, go, make disciples of all nations. What is the purpose of the church? Make disciples of all nations. And what is the church? You remember? Remember we talked about the church, right? Remember? (laughs) Right? What is the church? Here's the church. No, this isn't the church, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. The door seat. Right? No? Okay. Hopefully I'm, I'm trying to reprogram your minds, right? Here's a building. It might have a steeple, but it might not. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But here's a building. Might have a steeple. Open the door and see the church. Awesome. Right? We are the church. And what is so sad is that uh, many Christians, most churches have abdicated this calling to make disciples of all nations. So, gosh, that's overwhelming. All nations? We can't do it. So hard just to reach our community, our neighbors, to love our family. All nations? And so as a church, we say, well, we can't do that, but we can do programs. And we can pull off events and we can make those look good. Or as individuals, you say, well, you know, I can do nice. I may not be able to do Christ-likeness, but I can do nice. So let me do nice, because I can do nice in my own strength. It's not how it works. God gives you a calling that you cannot accomplish. It's overwhelming. It's supposed to feel overwhelming. But God has called you to himself so that your life would have a profound impact on the spiritual destiny of other people. That, this is why the church, we, the church, this is why we exist to draw people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to build them up so that they become worshipers of God, so that all the other idols fall away and they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is why we're here. It doesn't matter what your job is, what your vocation is. It matters is your calling, okay? Because you can fulfill this calling in any job, in any vocation. But it is overwhelming, okay? It is overwhelming. And so God commanded Joshua, in order to fulfill his calling, to do three things. Turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1 again and read with me verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God said first, Joshua, be strong. Be strong. What kind of strength did Joshua need? Well, Joshua needed first physical strength. Sometimes we forget that Moses died at 120. Joshua took over leadership at 80. (laughs) He needed physical strength because he was being called to warfare. He had to command an untrained army in warfare at age 80. He needed physical strength. Now, you may say, gosh, but I don't have physical strength. That's all right. God gives you the strength that you need to fulfill the calling that he's called you to. And even when you begin to lack physical strength, you can still have a profound impact on others. Joshua's calling required physical strength. It also required emotional strength. 
He was leading a, a difficult people to lead. In fact, Moses, uh, from time to time, got completely worn out with leading these people. Let me give you one illustration. Numbers chapter 20, verse 10. It says, Moses said to the assembly, listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water from you from this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock twice with his rod. Water came forth abundantly and the congregation of the beasts all drank. But God had commanded Moses, I, I, I don't want you to strike the rock, just speak to the rock. But Moses got so incredibly frustrated with these rebellious people that he took his staff and he said, come here, you rebels. And he just smashed on the rock because he was so worn out. And when we work with and through people to have an impact on their lives, guess what? They can wear us out. And we wear them out, but we're not talking about us right now, right? There's another translation, actually, for Numbers 12, verse 3. It says, now the man of Moses was very humble, or it could also read miserable. (laughs) Yeah, it could be translated this way, which I tend to think that's probably what it was. Moses was more miserable than any man on the face of the entire earth because of this job that God had given him, which was so overwhelming. It required physical strength. It required emotional endurance because it was a relational leadership job. Required intellectual strength. You know, uh, Joshua has actually been studied as a military commander, working with untrained people going into a a land that was uh, filled with fortified cities and people who know how to fight, not being armed. How did he actually accomplish victory? You know, it's, it's been studied how he strategically went in and split the country in half from north to south, and conquered the south first so there couldn't be unification, then went and conquered the north. And I mean, he, he was really a, a genius. God gave him that gifting. He gave him relational strength. Because Joshua couldn't accomplish this on his own. He needed God, but he also needed people. He had to work through these people, not on his own. Remember when I was in college, the, the worst classes, in my opinion, were classes that required group projects. So you got graded. And see, I know. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're dependent on somebody else for your grade. It's horrible. I hated that. You know, just give me a problem set and I can go and sit in a cubicle and it all depends just on me. I like that. I do think it's, it's uh, humorous, God's sense of humor, that now he's, he's put me in a job where m- my whole world is group project. This is what I do. I do group projects every day. My family. Family's a group project. You can't get family done on your own, right? I can't get my job done on my own. And I've learned to really embrace it. I love it. Because I've learned that so much more can be done when you're working with and through others. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the strength and the energy and the ingenuity. And it's a, it's a joyful thing. I love it. But it's, it's challenging. Fortunately, remember for... For Joshua, he had Caleb. And Caleb was a man who was, was with him. They had the same vision. They had the same passion. They had the same heart. Remember, Caleb was also now 80 years old. But he was the only one when the spies had been sent into the promised land. It was Moses and Caleb who said, no, we can go in because God's great. Yeah, there are giants in the land, but it's a, a great land. And God has determined to give it to us. Trust, obey. And so, since everyone else turned away and disobeyed and w- was afraid... Only Caleb and Joshua got to go in. So they're the only 80-year-olds, right? They're the only 80-year-olds in the whole group. And Caleb went in, and for five years, he fought with others, not claiming his own land. At the end of that time, he's 85 years old, and he says to Moses, hey, do you remember God promised to you and me that I could have this land? I'm ready. Can I take it now? I might die trying, but I'll take it. 
You know, and you and I need, we need, a, we need a Caleb, we need a Joshua, we need someone to go through this process with when we're becoming weak or tired. Moses had Aaron and Hur who would hold up his arms when he became weak and began to drop his arms in battle. We need that because we won't survive, certainly without God's strength, but also without the strength of others coming alongside of us because the calling is too great for us to finish well. So Joshua is commanded to be strong. Joshua is commanded also to be brave. Read with me again chapter 1, verse 6. It says, be strong and courageous. Beginning of verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Three times. Okay, why does God tell him three times? Because this was an issue for Joshua. He was afraid. And so God tells him, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Don't be dismayed. To be courageous is defined here. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. In other words, don't become paralyzed. In the face of fear, keep moving forward. That's what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's moving forward in the face of fear. In fact, there can't be courage if there isn't fear. A friend of mine said to me the other day, we can't be both brave and safe. Because where safe is, there's no requirement of bravery or courage. So God puts us in places that require courage because they don't feel safe. I remember the first time I went to a Young Life camp and um, climbed up a tree to go down a zip line. I was 16 years old. You know, it wasn't like a backyard zip line where, you know, you're, you're up five feet and going down to two feet. It was, this was, I think it was, a, it felt like a hundred feet. It was probably, I don't know, 40 feet up in a tree. You climb up, they buckle you in and they tell you it's safe. <laughs> I didn't feel safe. Right? You're holding on to a bar and the first jump, you just drop. You drop straight down. It, it didn't look safe. It didn't feel safe. Oh gosh, that was so exhilarating. You know, but there are, some, there are some kids who would get frozen there. Okay. That's not courage when you're frozen. They would literally, they'd have to peel their hands off the platform, right? Sometimes wrap around them and jump for them or somehow get them to close their eyes and climb back down because they were frozen. I did a, uh, a leadership development thing one time with a team. We went out to a, a place where they had zip lines and trust falls and all those kinds of games that you play with your team to you know, boost your courage. And they had what was called a pamper pole. I don't know if any of you guys have seen those before. It's a telephone pole that's stuck deep in the ground, and it goes up, and, and you've got steps. You walk up to the top of the pamper pole, and there's a platform, and you're supposed to stand on the top of the pla- platform and then jump off and grab a, a bar. And you, know, you get on the top of the platform, and the platform's shaking because you're shaking, right? So it's shaking and moving. And I remember we, we looked at that thing. I said, yeah, you just climb to the top, stand on the top, and once I tell you, then you just jump. Any volunteers? And you know what? I volunteered first because I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of heights, and so uh, I wanted to not be afraid of heights. I didn't want to be paralyzed by that. And so uh, I learned how to rock climb, and I learned how to rappel. And, you know, every time that I would do it, I would feel afraid. But I didn't want to be paralyzed by fear. I wanted to move through fear. And so I volunteered and I climbed up there and the pole was shaking and I was shaking and I jumped. It was awesome. It was awesome. 
Because it gave others courage as well to stand up and do it. And I didn't do it because I wasn't afraid. I did it in spite of fear. And that's what God calls us to do. Calls you to something that's beyond your abilities, beyond your capacities, that requires bravery. And then he says, leap and trust me. Is it safe? Is it safe to follow God? Uh, It depends on how you define safe, right? You might might, uh, suffer. You might be persecuted. Um, For a lot of biblical characters, they actually lost their lives. But was it safe? Yeah, it was safe because their eternity was held in God's hand. And God always keeps his grip. So leap. Finally, he was commanded to be dependent. As we look at this last point, if I could have the men go back and get us prepared for communion, I want you to read with me in chapter 1, verse 8 again. God spoke to Joshua and he said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Joshua, there is a way for you to do well, and this is how you do it. You you depend upon me. You deeply, deeply trust in me. I've given you my word. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You have my presence. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will prosper you as you depend upon me. And, you know, for 40 years, Joshua had trained himself to depend upon God. Read with me. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11 says this. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Do you see the image? God would call Moses to come out to the tent to meet with him, so that God could speak to Moses face to face, so that Moses could go and speak to the people. And when Moses was called by God to go out to the tent, all the people would stand up. They would come to the edge of their tents and they would stand up. But Joshua would follow Moses all the way to the tent. He couldn't go in because he wasn't invited in yet. He wasn't the leader. So he would stop right at the edge of the tent. He'd get as close as he could to God and he'd listen in, right? And he would stay right there. And then even when Moses got up and left the tent, Joshua stayed. Joshua trained himself to trust in God. He was qualified to lead because he depended upon God's word and God's presence. He knew he couldn't move forward in this calling alone, and so he trusted in God. As we close with communion and celebrate communion, I want you to consider for a moment your calling by God and what you cannot accomplish. Called to salvation that's freely given you in Christ. We're going to celebrate that. The, The bread representing the body of Christ, the cup, his blood. But called to be transformed into the image of Christ, to be like him, and then to be a blessing to others. And not just a few around you, but to become a blessing to all nations. I want you to consider your calling. I want you to consider the calling of Jesus Christ. To take on human flesh and to go to the cross for us. Do you think that he was afraid? We know he was. And he prayed to his father and sweat came down like drops of blood. Father, if there's any other way you can accomplish your will, yet not my will but yours be done. In other words, Christ was afraid, but for our sake, he was brave. Let's take a few moments and just give God thanks for sending his son Jesus, who did not play it safe, but was brave on our behalf. Men come forward in service. We'll wait for everyone to be served, and then we'll take the bread and the cup together.
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we thank you that you were courageous for us. We thank you that you did not pull back, but you answered God's calling on your life. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to worship you and worship your son, Jesus and to remember your calling that you placed on our lives. But this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Father, we thank you for paying the price for us because you loved us so much. And Father, sometimes it's hard for us to imagine why you would love us so deeply, but you have, and you have declared that we are your children. We pray, Father, that we would be wise and not listen to lesser callings, that we would live our lives wholly and completely and utterly devoted to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.